It's time for a beer this week. We have Hawthorne champion, Brownlow medalist, four-time premiership player, premiership captain with coaching ambitions. It's just a good old-fashioned footy chat. Now, I ain't no Howard Stern, so please lower your expectations on anything you expect to hear from me. Seriously, it's probably a bit of a shit show, but do give us a rating only if it's five stars. Personally, I don't know what the five stars is all about, all the ratings, but hey, if you do, I'll buy you a beer when I see you around town. Now, let's hear from our sponsors. Colonial Beer! We've got one. No. Fuck. Righto, here's Sam Mitchell. Pickpocketed by Mitchell. It's won by Mitchell. Mitchell playing in front and he's marked it. A Brownlow medalist standing at just over 103 centimetres. Hawthorne's own garden gnome. I'm a big kid now. Please welcome Sam Mitchell. Sam Mitchell, how you been? I'm going very well. I'm um, enjoying myself. I'm a bit jealous of you having a beer, actually. That's quite a good idea. Mate, uh, COVID times. Uh, you moved back from WA to... Uh, where well, you, you, you buttered your bread at Hawthorne. How's that been? Were you stood down or uh, were you sort of on, on part of the skeleton crew or how, how did that work for you? Uh, Hawthorne were really good. They, um, they kept us involved and in the, in the loop with what they were doing the whole time and um, it was a tough period for everyone and still uh, continues to be, of course. Um, you know, but I was fortunate to be, um, to be retained and and managed to be back out there um, trying to help the boys win as many games as we can. Yeah, mate, let's go to your, your childhood. What, what sort of upbringing did you have? Was it, was it sport? Was it schooling? Was it a blend of everything? What's, uh, what filled in your days as a kid? Um, pretty stock standard, sort of meat and three veg, 2.3 yep. children sort of set up in my house mm-hmm. out in the outer suburbs of, of Melbourne. Um, yeah, I guess footy and cricket filled up most of the day and, I lived just down the street from the school, so I used to get on the push bike. I was a BMX kid. Did you have the Heaps Stokes? other kids had – pattern. Did you have Stokes on the bike? No, I didn't get the Stokes. I used to race the bike and right. and I went through a period where I just spent all my time pulling them apart and pulling them together and some kids had skateboards and some had rollerblades for yep. those who are old enough to remember that. And then uh, I was part of the BMX crew, but he used to get on the train and go down <laughs> to the Lilydale Bowl. Yep. And there was a there was a racetrack down in Lilydale that we used to go and try to do jumps and crash a thousand times, but usually it was nice soft landing, so not too bad. We used to call you guys uh, rats, but uh, anyway. Now, mate, <laughs> I think I think a lot of people see the the finished product uh, with you being a Brownlow medalist, four time Premiership player, Premiership captain, but you went through a time. That, 18 or so, where you, you, you missed the draft, didn't you? Yes, I did. Um, it was all Anthony Kudafiti's fault. Right. Um, for those who have met me in person, I'm not a very um, big and strong-looking sort of lad. I never have been. And uh, in the year 2000, when I was first eligible for the draft, Anthony Kudafiti's was right. a ginormous hulk of a man. Yep. And everyone was going to be Anthony Kudafiti's in the, in the future. And... Now that I'm a coach, I'm just as cocky as those coaches back then who think, you know, you give me an athlete and I'll make them into a player. Yeah. Um, and that was the attitude back then. And unfortunately, I was the player trying to become an athlete. So yep. I had it the wrong way around for a period there. Were you – do you look at it and think you were good enough to be drafted if if it wasn't the Anthony Kudafiti stage? Was your footballing just, you know, as good as it probably gets at under-18s and you're just stiff by the, the period we found ourselves in? Uh, yeah, I think 
yeah, I didn't. I mean, I didn't get overly. I didn't get a heap better. Yeah. Um, I would. Have, I would have been a player who lacked polish, who might be good at this level, but probably wouldn't make it at the next level, um, mm-hmm. being VFL. But then, it, I think it was quite fortunate. Um, in hindsight, that I didn't get drafted because it meant I had to do two things. One, uh, I had to decide to actually genuinely knuckle down on, like I didn't know anything about fitness. I yep. didn't know anything about, um, you know, profession professionalism. It wasn't even a word that I'd ever heard until until that age. So two things happened. One is I proved to myself the next year that I could play a step up uh, by going into the VFL and, and we, we won a premiership. So that was quite fortunate that I was... I was involved in that. And then the other thing that it did was it made me pull my finger out on a more – because I was always good at footy and I always yeah. worked hard at footy training, um, but I actually had to become more professional away from away from the field. And that was – I mean, it was still a work in progress even when, when you came along a few years later, Rex, but uh, I, did, I did kick into gear after that. Was it Box Hill you chose VFL? Yeah, so I went to Box Hill. So I had, had a couple of interviews with a couple of other places. I – um, had a few interviews with clubs from Adelaide and things like that to go over to the Sandful, mm-hmm. um, but I ended up staying at staying at Box Hill. Eastern Rangers and Box Hill had quite a good affiliation, and it meant that I got to train back then um, with Hawthorne once a week. So yep. I used to run around with Hawthorne. I remember I did a yoga session with Joel Smith. Oh yes, um, and he'd been an All Australian the year before, and I was just so starstruck by doing yoga and holding this guy's precious hamstring up for a, a hamstring <laughs> stretch. And, uh, it was probably the highlight of my life to that point. Mate, it's funny you say that. I was telling someone a story during the week about my draft night. I held a party at uh, mum and dad's place and you text me. And I grew up in a town of 400 people where uh, AFL football, I just idolised uh, Chris Andy, the full forward for Lakes Entrance. I thought he was the bee's knees. And you text me <laughs> draft night um, inviting me for a beer because uh, we'd had a catch-up at Clarko's and I had mates over at my joint and I almost shut my own party down to join you guys for a beer just purely because as you mentioned with Joel Smith the realisation that uh, these guys you've got to try and I don't reckon I was very good at it dropping the guard between uh, idolising V um, being part of you know a team with them I I couldn't believe that you had sort of reached out and said you want to get a beer I I was absolutely shocked and as you said it takes a bit of time to get your head around um, these guys that you sort of play with, you can't you, – you need to become mates and teammates pretty quickly. Yeah, it would have been good if you could have stopped idolising a few of us by the end of your career at least, X. But <laughs> I would say that I hope – I do hope I had the maturity and foresight to say that spending that time with your people that helped you get there Identical. is probably far more important. The people that you ended up coming with um, and spending all your time with us – uh, we would have taken up the majority of your time and all of your, your beer occasions for the foreseeable future. So I do hope that – I think one of the things that you learn as you get older is how important other people are to help you get there. So I do hope that you stayed with your mates. Um, and knowing you, I think you're probably being a little bit humble to say that you actually gave a shit about anyone who um, <laughs> sent you a text that night because you were like – Early draft pick, knew you were going to get picked up, would have had people around. You were just wondering which club it was going to be, one, two or three. No, you're right, but you did respond exactly that way. We've got plenty of time. I still remember it because it was one of the first text messages I got. But So you've uh, you've been drafted at Hawthorne alongside Hodgie. Was, it, was there competition, UV Hodgie, there at all? Hodgie obviously being the number one. It's funny how your careers have panned out very similar in terms of games, flags, captain. Yeah, it was an incredible draft, but did you – have a bit of a, a competition with Hodgie being the number one draft pick v your your path. 
No, no, absolutely not. Um, when we came, when we got drafted, I was pick thirty six, and thirty six sounds like a reasonably early draft yeah. pick now. But I was our, I was our fifth pick. Okay. So, uh, so there was the only player that got selected after me was Simon Cox, who was had been at the Bulldogs and ended up coming second in the best and fairest that first year. So I was, other than the rookies that did come a few weeks later, I was the last player on the mm-hmm. list, and Hodgie was the number one pick um, that we'd given up. Trent Crowe and others for. So there was certainly no competition um, between us. I very, very firmly viewed myself. I still remember the fact that there must have been 44 on the list because I still firmly remember thinking of myself as the 44th player on the list. Yeah, right. And uh, so your first year, now correct me if I'm wrong because I do tend to put sugar on things. Your first year, (laughs) as you know, I mean, I'm full of absolute shit, but uh, the first year (laughs) – is it true you played, now correct me if I'm wrong, 11 VFL games of which you polled 31 votes in the Liston, the VFL league medal, is that correct? 10 yes, best on grounds right. and one one voter of which you pulled off at halftime or something? No, I wasn't pulled off at halftime. I was very, I'm very annoyed that I only got one because we played, It's it, of those 11 games, we won 10. Yeah. And the only one we lost, we played in. We played against Werribee in Werribee, and to this day, I refuse to make eye contact or speak to either Shane Burse or Lindsay <laughs> Gilby because they got three and two. And Lindsay Gilby, I played footy with in under 18s at Eastern Rangers, so I refuse to speak to either of those two because they they beat me on that day um, for the votes, and we lost the game as well. So. Um, it stopped my perfect record, unfortunately. So 11 games, 10 bests on grounds. I actually don't think I've been in the best five players on a footy field at any occasion in my life. So, mate, that is – You it. have, and you have, and you are at some point going to bring up the fact that the best game you ever played was the 08 grand final and the worst game I ever played was the 08 grand final. So we may as well – Let's go. Let's jump to it. segue to get straight there. Let's jump to it. Um, so on that day, and actually I just literally got off a Zoom chat with Hawthorne members. Um, I joined in and they obviously asked questions about the 08 – Uh, Grand final, and Campbell Brown spoke about it, and I've never really thought about it this way. On the day, uh, apart from Hodgie, who obviously won the Norm Smith, the superstars of our team who got us to the big day, yourself, Ruffy, uh, Franklin, it wasn't their best days. I think think they'd probably say it was well below their their, um, standards. But your game, can you talk to me about uh, what happened at halftime? It was 27 degrees. <laughs> I, 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 I thought I thought my um, my hearing was gone. I was in a state of delusion. Now and then something woke me up as I sat in the warm up room. What happened at halftime? Well, I would actually prefer. I'll, I'll, how about I tell the story of the first half and yep. my own personal game, and then um, you can tell you can tell the halftime because I actually don't remember it as well as some others. Um, but during. Before the game, I was completely overawed yep. by the situation. I was a young captain. I was my first year as the captain of the club and I took the captaincy far too seriously um, and didn't do a great job of it, to be fair. But that day, I was so overawed. I even forgot to go and toss the coin and I was starting to do like the <laughs> pump-up speech. And I was oh, they're calling you, Mitch. And I'm like, oh, I better go toss the coin. I've forgotten. <laughs> I was already in my head. We were already done that. And we were past that, ready to the yep. – So at half time, I was getting tagged by Cameron Ling, who was the best shutdown player of that generation yep. um, in, in my in my view. He was like my toughest opponent. And there was a couple of others, Kane Corns and, and Brett Kirk, who were up right up there as well. But yep. Lingy was genuinely the guy I just could never beat. Um, and <laughs> – 
And I got moved to half forward. They're just hiding me because yep. Lingy was doing me over. Anyway, I cleaned up Gary Ablett. I got reported. I think at halftime I'd given away four, three free kicks and had three possessions. Yep. And I'm the captain of the club and a starting inside midfielder. So um, I came off the ground trudging. We were in it, so that was positive. But other than that, there was not much positive going through in my head. And then I walked off to... Well, this is what I, I can't complete because it, it shocked me, but I think it was something like Clarko, a flyby spray, and I think it was something like, Mitchell, don't be afraid to fucking get involved or something <laughs> like that. And, like, it was one of those flybys because he kept walking into the coach's room, correct me if I'm wrong, and I sat up and I didn't even realise you were having it an off day. So that actually, the spray of you getting involved put a little bit of energy in probably most of us thinking that, oh, well, the captain's obviously having a, having an ordinary one. But um, it was, was it something I think, like that? I think, the, I think the words head out of your ass. Get your head involved. out of your ass. Have, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I don't, as I mentioned, I was quite, the first half was just like mm. a blur. And for those yep. who have played, played sport at, you know, even a moderate level. So when you're not playing well, everything goes a million miles an hour yeah. and you've got no idea what's happening. When you're playing well, it feels like you've got all the time in the world. And when I watch the first game, when I watch the first half of that game, I'm like, oh my goodness, look at me. I just look so like fatigued and tired the whole time. I'm not even doing anything. Um, fortunately, I did play slightly better in the second yeah. half. I was able to get involved, but um, it, I, th- I think we're on here to talk about your game. So no, would no, you no, like no, to no. go through how stiff you were about the Norm Smith? I know no, that no. it still stings you a bit that you didn't get that across the line. No, honestly, I, I actually watched it, Mitch, in the COVID times uh, it was played and I kicked the ball shit house. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting my sword down now. I, I'm not putting up an argument ever again <laughs> about that medal. It was an absolute butchering at the highest order by me. So I, I'm comfortable. Oh, you would have kicked those beautiful floaters that managed to still get there and then the other guy always always dropped and it looked yeah. like their fault. I was like but Tom Brady. on the other end of it, you were like, oh, that's why they're dropping them. I was like a Peyton Manning. I just used to put it into a little pocket and if they could just get their hands around it, it worked a little treat, but they weren't, they weren't very cute. Hey, you mentioned you didn't think you did a good job as captain uh, for mine and I was young I was only 20 so I mean I wasn't probably uh, in tune with you know what a captain does in a footy club but w- what do you mean by when you say you, you probably didn't feel like you did a very good job oh I mean I did a good job in some areas yep. I was when I think back about the standards that um that Vanders had instilled um I was quite good I, I mean I did drive the standards and force us to be a much more professional outfit than we had been before and I continued Richie Vandenberg's legacy in that in that way and I was able to get some maturity out of guys like you and um, your your rat bag crew yep. to make sure they were able to perform at a high level on a consistent enough basis without going off the off the track but I was a I mean I think as a captain of the club you have got three stakeholders that are very very important to you one is the 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 coaches because mm-hmm. you're a, a conduit for the for the coaches to get information to players and I think I was very good as a captain at that. Yep. You're also the captain of the club as a whole, uh, being the spokesperson much more regularly for the whole football club. And I never had too much trouble with talking in front of the camera, as you would yep. know it. So I had yep. not too much trouble there. But the third the third part of it was that you needed to be the leader of the players. And it, I mean, I wasn't a great when I know you wouldn't say this on air, X, but if you went through your ten best teammates as far as who 
um, you would love to have a beer with, for instance. I don't think I would make that list, and that's okay. Not everyone can be – you can't be everyone to everything. Yeah. Um, but if I had my time again, I would have spent a bit more time building relationships and getting the players to um, understand me and for me to understand them more importantly. Um, so when I look back on my time, I would have been a much better captain later yeah. on in my career, um, but I'd already – that boat – I'd, I'd done that thing and I didn't need to ever feel the urge to do it again. Um, and I felt like I was a much better leader post-30, yeah. believe it or not, rather than at 24 or 25. Do, do you feel as though uh, when you um, settled down, started having uh, kids, Smith was your, your first, do you feel at that stage, I reckon I remember you telling me one day, you were pretty rigid with your routine, uh, you, know, you enjoyed things set up for you to be as best as you possibly could. And now you're a father and the best thing that for you for your football is secondary to you be, being a father. Do you feel like the timing of that um, made you a better player as well? A more rounded player? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it's funny that you say that. At my kids' school, they use this phrase all the time, malleable to circumstance. And before mm-hmm. I had children and... Um, you know, as an athlete, I grew up in a house where um, I was the center of attention because of my football. I mean, yep. most guys who get drafted into an AFL system, um, they have had whatever they needed to have their career take off. And that's why we're all so thankful to our families and our, our situations. But when you get into an AFL system, you do what you need to get the best out of you. There's mm-hmm. a lot of you's and I's in that sentence. Yep. And when I, I'll never forget, we played. Um, we played Adelaide on a, I think it was a, I think it was Friday night, and I'd been in the hospital with Lyndall till about four in the morning. Um, we were having some complications while Lyndall was pregnant, yep. and I'd been in the hospital four in the morning. I got, I went home, I had two or three hours sleep, went back to the hospital, spent all day in the hospital. Already had my gear. I got to the ground, um, and I had thirty-eight or thirty-seven touches yeah. against Adelaide, and. It was just everything I had done in my life <laughs> felt like a lie. <laughs> and it was the best routine I could have yep. for that day. Yeah. And that after that, whatever I could do that was the best. And so now when I talk to players, you try and give them the same level of confidence that you need to do the best preparation that you can. But if you can't sleep or you've got a runny nose or you've got a sore mm. shoulder or a sore ankle or, um, you know, you're someone's been hurt or sick in your family, then that doesn't actually affect your performance. So long as you're doing the best performance that you can in your preparation, that's the only thing that matters. Now, you won the – you were part of the Triple Premiership, uh, a big part of it. 13, Crowley tagged you and I think people look back and go, oh, Mitchell was tagged. But you really dictated that game incredibly with Crowley and you going to someone else. So that was one of those games that probably um, not many would look at and go, you know, from the stands and go, oh, what's Mitchell? Crowley's got Mitchell. You dictated that game pretty soundly, didn't you? And it was probably a sign of, um, you know, you're heading down the coaching path. I I think that that was probably the most thought-out game I've I've seen you play in the stands was the way that you could dictate – where the ball was going without actually touching it. Yeah, it was a really interesting game that one—a chess chess battle um, from a coach's box point of view. And with, um, the year, the year before, if you look at my grand finals, X, I didn't get a kick in in 08. Um, get tagged out of it by Cameron Ling. Yep. And in in 2012, you could argue the guy that spent the majority of the game accountable for me um, won the Norm Smith, and yep. we lost. So my grannies are going well at this point. And then <laughs> and then the next year. And you know Crowley's um, coming. 
Yeah, I knew Crowley was coming. Unfortunately for me, I had very, I had quite a good game in the preliminary final, and Crowley was. Actually, um, I'll, inter- I'll interject now. The preliminary final is the best individual game of football I think I've almost uh, seen, and I, I will pump you up because I give you a lot of shit. That game against <laughs> Geelong at the MCG. Now I could have this wrong, but it was something like you had ten of the first eleven centre clearances for Hawthorne or something. It was an absolutely incredible game of football that you played in that preliminary final. Now we can move yeah, on. Yeah, I, I was happy. I was happy to play well against Geelong. I think they'd beaten us eleven times in a row. Yeah, and actually, we, was ta- we were talking about it. Um, we lost to Geelong, um, obviously in round in round two, and yeah. we were talking about after the game about how if it feels better to play really well and lose, or to play well and lose. And I talked about against Geelong and we played them 11 times and I played quite well in a lot of those yeah. games and we still lost. <laughs> and I used to find that feeling, the wor- I used to hate that so much. Mm. Um, and I, I disagreed with a few of the other guys who thought it was worse to play um, to play, <laughs> to play play poorly. But I would, rather, I would much rather play bad because at least it felt like you have some control. If you play well and then lose, then you've got no control over anything. You may yeah. as well not turn up. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I had a good game in that prelim, and thank you for the pump up. Um, no, I do remember it, and, and I have texted you in the last six months randomly about that game. And I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I text. I've got to stop drinking because that shit pops up in my head all the time. And I text people saying, "What about that game you played that night?" But uh, yeah, so you dictated Crowley and Fremantle Dockers pretty successfully, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I, when I look back on that game, it was a real coming of age for for probably two players in that team. And you look at the stats and you say the two players who did a good job in that game was Lance Franklin and me. And we both were tasked with very selfless roles yeah. where we knew Santa Landers would win every hit out and we knew we hit it straight to Fife and Monday. I mean, if I could disrupt that, then that would be my job. If I could halve the two or three on one, then mm. the rest of the mids should go okay. And, and Franklin uh, basically took McFarlane outside 50 for the whole game. Yeah. And it was it ended up being his last game for Hawthorne. And when he left, I remember thinking if he he just won, we wouldn't have won without his sacrifice either. So when I look back on that game, I always think, you know, I would have, to be perfectly honest with you, X-Man, despite mm. me playing a selfless role, I still would have been able to get at least 20 or something. <laughs> um, so I would, have liked a, I would have liked a few more, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I do, I do look back on it and think I'm glad that I did that and I didn't. I could have taken a few selfish steps and I didn't yeah. in that game and and Bud did exactly the same thing and you got to tip your lid that he's the biggest superstar in the game at that period and yeah, if not still. Um, and he just sacrificed everything to make sure that um, he played in the right way and gave us every chance to win. Before we move on, where do you think he was going? Sydney, GWS or Hawthorne when he left? Oh, I probably th- I probably thought GWS but yep. I didn't. Um, I was quite – well, I think I think we I think Hawthorne handled it in quite a mature fashion. When you look yeah. at in hindsight, we didn't we didn't ask the question, we didn't force his hand, we just let him do his thing. And um, while you're here, you play for us, mm. and whatever you decide at the end of the year, we'll respect. And I think that's become the norm. Yeah. Um, but we did we did accept that sort of behaviour probably reasonably early through the free agency period. Now, four, uh, 14, I'll skip over. you. 15, I was obviously uh, unlucky enough to be on the end of um, one of your games. And I've said to multiple people, you were clearly the Norm Smith medalist on that day because for some reason I've never felt as vulnerable as I did in that game in the first half. You know when you say, you said before, when you're playing really well, the game slows down? Unfortunately, I felt like I morphed into your body and – the game slowed down, but unfortunately, you had the football. It was—I've never <laughs> felt so like the game. Um, 
when you had it, it was we as defenders at West Coast. It was like I protect the left, Mitch will go right. I protect the right, Mitch will go left. I think you were Norm Smith on that day. Was that your your, your sort of crowning moment in grand finals? Was that your your best game? Um, yeah, the four. I mean, fourteen against Sydney um, was reasonably similar yep. for me. I remember my. Keep in mind, I hadn't touched it. I played in three grand finals at that point, and I hadn't done anything worth. Time to have a look at the ice cream. My first, my first touch in the 2014 grand final against Sydney, um, I got a cheap little handball, one-two yeah. with Grant Birchall, and then I, I shepherded him from my handball, and I headbutted Gary Rowan and broke his nose. <laughs> it was okay. about five seconds. Yeah. It was about five seconds into the game. So you got a big bounce. I had a good, I had a good day that day, and then the next year against West Coast, I did feel like. I mean, I was getting older at that point. I was well into my 30s, mm. and I, I had the. Um, I knew what needed to be done and when, and I, I did have a bit of control over the middle part of the ground, and um, you know I might have got a bit luckier with the Norm Smith if Simo didn't send a tag to me in the, the last quarter and a half, which I was pretty flat about. What a waste of time that was. The game was uh, the done and dusted, but you moved to West Coast. I was actually overseas in Europe at some stage, and I got a text message from Mark Lacrar and those guys saying, "What's Sam doing? I hear he's coming to West Coast." What's the conversation with Clarko, who obviously – and everyone says Clarko is arguably one of the best coaches of all time, and I sincerely agree with that. But without probably three or four consistent Hawthorne players, yourself, Hodgie, um, Bud to a degree, Ruff, uh, and Jordan Lewis throughout your games, um, Clarko's not Clarko, and I reckon without Clarko, you guys aren't yourselves as well. So how does that conversation come about that Jordan Lewis has left, Hodgie's left – uh, Grant Birch was left. Ruffy was virtually the only one that, that stayed through the whole um, period. How do you end up leaving Hawthorne? Um, well, I didn't know any of that was going to happen. I was the I was the first one to fall. Yeah. Um, to be fair, so uh, what happened is he knew I was really passionate about coaching. Yep. We'd we'd won three in a row, and then we'd lost two finals in a row in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was our. I'd been tagged every week and been battered and bruised and kicked around in 2016. Does I was it give you the shit, or you just get used to it? You, like getting tagged? Is it, uh, it's just like I found f- it. I did. I'll be honest. I did find it hard that yeah. year because I was I was getting older and um, I wasn't recovering as quickly and I wasn't able to train very much and yeah. I did start to find it a bit hard. But Clarko knew I was very passionate about coaching and he knew that was the path I wanted to go down and he knew probably um, that I'd spoken enough to Adam Simpson that I was going to spend my career post-football um, going to Perth and mm-hmm. trying to coach um, with Simo. And it was – they wouldn't extend my contract because I was so old. Yep. Um, so he said to me – I'd had a contract for the next year and year and a, a little bit after that. But he said – "Would you, he came around on Brownlow Day and said, do you think you'd be interested in going to West Coast to play? Um, and if we could get it done in the next few weeks for this year – then you could go and play before you start your coaching career there. Yeah. And I'd been under Clarko for 12 years, I think, at that stage. Um, Hawthorne seemed to me that we were an ageing group. We'd, um, we'd won three and then had lost double twin finals. Mm-hmm. And I looked, at, I looked at the West Coast side and thought, they're a very good side. They're well coached. I get along well with Simo. Um, I think that this could be something to explore. Plus, my my son had started school, but my daughters I got I have twin daughters that are only one year behind him. And if I had have moved later, all three would have to change schools. But yeah. if I did it then, then only only the one child would have to move schools. So 
it made sense from a family point of view to make the move then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very rushed. In hindsight, we moved within you know two months of the decision, and I guess that's what happens for everyone that has is in that situation. Um, but it was a we we so we made the move, and I went over and went over and played. And Clarko at every stage through it, he said, "Explore or park." Was a text message he used to send me, as in. Are you still keen to take the next step yeah. to go through this process? Or do you want to park it? And if you want to park it, no worries. I'll see okay. you tonight at the Brown Line. We'll have a beer. Or I'll see you at the start of preseason. It was not. It was a bit different to the other guys. I think Jordan Lewis and it might have been a little bit more abrasive from yeah. my understanding yeah. of their discussion, whereas mine was very much a, what are you What are you thinking? What do you want to do, mate? Because um, we'd, we'd both, I, I wouldn't have been me without him and he wouldn't probably be him without me. Yeah. So um, we kind of both accepted that and, and knew that we were in it together for, I knew that he wanted the best for me as a mm-hmm. as a person post footy as well. Was the plan always to U-turn? So you, you've obviously came over, played premiership at West Coast as a midfield coach, and um, the raps on you as a midfield coach from Jack Red and those guys who probably needed uh, to get get to the next level. Um, do you, do you regret it? And, and was the plan always you know get your get your toe in the water, have a have a bit of a swim, and then potentially come back to where you're from? No, not really. I'd never spoke. I had never spoken with Clark about coming back until he heard that I was um, going to come back from Perth. So um, we didn't, I didn't leave with yep. the impression I'll, I'll do it a few years and then I'll go back to Hawthorne. Um, that wasn't ever discussed until um, I remember I went into, I went into Simo and, and Craig Vozzo in about round four or round five, like really early, yep. and said, look, I don't think I'm going to be a long-term um, resident of WA. It's a beautiful place and I've um, you know really enjoyed being here, but with a – you know, it was very much not great. Our kids didn't love it. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife didn't love it there. And it was going to, and I, you got to tip your lid for people who go from, you know, guys like um, Liam Duggan, who moved from Melbourne and who go, moved to Perth and then commit their whole life to it. You have yeah. to tip your lid to them. I never had, I never had the empathy for the situation until I went there. But, you know, they, those guys, the poor buggers, they leave on a Friday at, Friday morning and travel into state and spend two days there and get home at midnight on a Sunday and miss the whole weekend with their families and and for me it wasn't it wasn't worth it um, and I was really honest with Simone and Voz and and they were they were pretty good about it and enabled me to get back to Melbourne at the end of at the end of the yeah. season and I would have loved to stay there my whole contract time mm-hmm. for the whole four years it was never a plan to move back but um, it all worked out we we won a flag over there and I got back to to be in Melbourne and now my wife's spending all of our money on our on our uh, house, and she. I got home today, and there's a new fireplace in the front room. So oh, that's where man. I've been in the last couple. I've of been hours. thinking about a fireplace, but I can't justify it with Perth weather. Like yeah, I'm the sort of person if I've got it, I'll have it on. It'll be 30 degrees outside, but I'm like, I've got this fire. I need to light this fucking thing as quick as I can. Yeah, well, I, I left in the dark in five degrees and got home in the dark in <laughs> 12 degrees to put the fire on and sat there and thought, you know what, she mm-hmm. she's put a fire in the front room without me having too much input into yeah. it, and it's pretty nice. Oh, mate, it's pretty nice. She's done a good job. You'll hear that. Crap. Crackle at night, and there's nothing better than the fire crackle. Have you now? You can plead the fifth on this, but when you uh, when you move back, you've obviously coached at Hawthorne. I, I think you are by far the, the next candidate to coach an AFL club. Were there conversations? Did anyone hit you up to see what you wanted to do next year? Um, and what do you think you need to get better at, or do you think you're just waiting for the right club at the moment to become a senior coach? Um, I, I mean, I had a few conversations around um, readiness, but I, I mean, I was pretty honest and said. Um, you know, could I? Were, am I fully capable and confident that I could take over right now? And I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, so the the challenge is, 
as an assistant coach, you're exposed. It's a little bit like being a player compared to a captain. You're exposed as an assistant coach. You're exposed to some media. You're certainly exposed to players in a hands-on way, yeah. significantly, of course. But I mean, as a head coach, you're the head of the club, head of strategy, head of the football department. I mean, I know there's a football manager as well, but um, it really is you driving driving the ship. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of elements, and I don't you don't know what you don't know. And mm-hmm. at that point, I hadn't. Um, you know, I hadn't been exposed to too much. I'd only been coaching for one year. Um, Is there a time frame, do you think? And I mean, I, I always get in trouble for running late to work and I always just tell the boss, what's time? Define time to me. Do you, do you have a time frame? <laughs> I mean, no wonder I'm close to getting sacked, but do you have a time frame? I, I imagine you're a pretty um, structured, structured and diligent sort of guy. Do you have a little, um, I don't know, diary or pathway you want to sort of follow, boxes you need to tick? Oh, yeah, I mean, the, the, problem, the problem with being a senior AFL head coaches, you can never really be prepared for it fully. Mm-hmm. So you have to sacrifice some things. You know, some people would say it's you have to coach your own team. Some would say um, you need to go into state. Some would say you need to do opposition um, analysis. Some say get out of the game for a period of time um, to come back in and see with new eyes, yeah. look at business models, and look at recruiting, things like that. So there's, there's endless numbers of boxes to tick mm-hmm. and all you can do in your preparation for anything – whether that's coaching or um, you know being a, a ginormous media personality, is you can just prepare yourself as best you can uh, and see which skills come easily and which ones you have to work a bit harder on, and, and make sure you're as, as prepared as you can be with the with your lot. I won't keep you much longer, mate. Can can we talk about the Brownlow uh, that you won? How did how did that come about? Obviously, um, Job, you and you and Trent Cochin. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have forecasted Trent Cochin to be a dual premiership captain. <laughs> The last couple of years, he's been exceptional. Yeah. Uh, how, how did it come about? I mean, um, the, all, of all the years that you, you probably could have won a Brownlow in, um, you know, multiple years. But how, how did it come about? That was it. Gill that was Gill ahead of the AFL at the time, or was it Adrian? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it was Gill. They they said um, both Trent and I um, had been involved in a few conversations. That obviously it was a huge media story at the time, mm-hmm. and, um, and we were in a difficult position of not saying anything. Um, so we were very much recipients of any news or any information. We didn't know what they were doing. And um, I remember I got a conversation, had a conversation with Gil that said, we'll, we'll let you know at one o'clock. Yep. I'll give you a call. Um, and it was a beautiful sunny day, strangely, in Melbourne. And I remember sitting in the backyard, um, getting ready to move to Perth, I think. Yep. And... Um, yeah, it was. Got the phone call. Yeah. At, I got the got the phone call at one o'clock, and he said, "Congratulations, you're a Brownlow medalist." Wow. <laughs> so I found out sitting. I had one of the kids sitting on my knee in the in the backyard, and it was certainly a, a surreal and strange strange period. How, how did it feel? Did it? I mean, you've you've been to I suppose maybe ten or eleven Brownlows, whatever it would be. You sit there at the Brownlow night, and they read out three votes: Sam Mitchell, three votes; Chris Judd, three votes; Joss Elwood, whatever it is. How did it feel? Did it feel a little bit empty or was it such a, 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 a really good feeling in the stomach that, I mean, you've, you've filled the book full of awards as it is. Uh, the Brownlow was probably the missing piece, but to get it um, after the fact, did it, did it feel the same? Oh, well, I don't know if it felt the same. Well, does it feel I the same now? Or does it feel, does it, what's the feeling like now? Do you feel? Yeah, no, yeah. I feel, I mean, I rightly or wrongly, I feel good about it now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the year before I came second, but I was ineligible. Um, so I was you do, not that year. 
Yeah, um, I think Dane Swan pulled 34 votes, which was okay. Um, so it was pretty good effort. Yeah, fair um, um, so yeah, no, I mean, I it's up in my it's up in yeah. my house. You yeah, know, beautiful. Well, it's not up, but it's it's, it's hidden away in the house next near the premiership medals and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's a, something you you're proud of. My kids, my kids, it's the thing that my kids like looking at. Or yeah, nice. you know, if they have a if they have a show and tell at school, that's the one they steal. So yeah, beautiful. Um, yeah, I do. I am proud of it. I remember uh, Dane Swan. Um, Early in his career, he was sort of in and out of, you know, not, it wasn't a star by any imagine. I, me- I still remember Clarko going, Dane Swan, oh, I can run faster than him. I still remember it. And then he apologized 12 months later. He goes, Yeah, I might have got it wrong about Swan, boys. He's pretty good. <laughs> I, I've spoken about this with, um, with Swanee, but there was a game we played them at the MCG and he had the ball and he was running next to me and he looked at me. And bounced it. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was honestly, I was a meter away from yeah. him, one meter, and he just bounced it in my face and just kept running. And I was like, "What can that's, you do? That's a guy who can. That's not much you can do about that. Is he? He's a bloody good player." Now, last one, mate. The uh, the crowning moment of your career. Uh, you were on the front page of the paper as opposed to the back page of the paper at, some, at one stage in your career. You had a, a brawl at the Glen Free Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! This is it. This is a story for the ages. It, you know, when you're at a football club, they always tell you if you get yourself into trouble, ring the club. Yep. Um, and we did get into a bit of a fracas. It wasn't. It, was it at the Hawthorne? The Hawthorne. Yeah. Sorry, the Hawthorne. Yep. Was that the Hawthorne? Yeah. And um, I didn't. Re- I wasn't even sure what had happened to be honest. But mm. I was pretty quickly having a little fracas with a couple of guys <laughs> and. Um, and of all, it was Tim Clark and me, of all the people, the two straightest players that yeah. probably played at Hawthorne through that period. Anyway, we ended up in a little fracas with our now wives. Mm. And um, I rang the club and they made sure that it looked like I was protecting because I think one of the girls might have copped the errant elbow from somebody. Yeah. And it made, by the, by the time I hit the paper, I was made to look like a, a hero. And apparently there was a whole bunch of other things happening that night that I had no idea about until mm. years later, believe it or not. So when you're the captain of a club, you maybe don't find out the truth at the time. You have to wait till a few years later when you found out a unnamed other teammate ended up getting his head beaten in by the bouncers out the back of the place for starting the whole fracas. <laughs> right, is that about right? No, no. I got put in the kitchen that night and um, – for some reason, they put the offenders in the kitchen with me. <laughs> so I had a saucepan. It was bloody all sorts. Anyway, um, yeah, I was just an innocent bystander watching you two do your best work. And then for some reason, innocent uh, a couple of innocent blokes got bloody pulled into it. But, uh, mate, that's I been – I find it hard to believe that I was guilty and you were innocent. <laughs> nah, nah, it's, um, it's a good one, mate. Now, I really uh, – I'll wrap it up, mate. I've been um, – Really looking forward to getting you on. It's uh, it's a great pleasure to have you. Um, I always love catching up with you and, and having a beer and whatnot. So, mate, um, thank you very much. Um, your career's been unbelievable. And I look forward to whether it's 12 months, 24 months, um, getting a job back in AFL when you're coaching. Thanks, X. Look forward to it, mate. Uh, good to chat. Good to, good to uh, hear your voice <laughs> off the radio. And I'm doing something different, so... Good to uh, good to have a chat, mate. I nah, love it, mate. Thank you very much. And uh, you've got another meeting to go to, so get in there. Cheers, X. See you, mate.